Yeah, because Vanessa has sent. So, so that's why uh, we need to go on premises on the bunker. On the sometimes we go on the ships. We we even had like a guy who took our uh, software in a, in a big computer and like parachute himself with it. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know when you need to have your software work in this kind of condition, it's really really challenging. Hello and welcome to the New Space Vision podcast sponsored by LifeEO, where we discuss new space technology, finance and innovation with executives, founders and a way more exciting people from the startup and new space ecosystem. I'm Dani Seidel. And I'm Sven Pschivara. And together we are the founders of the Earth Observation Company LifeEO and New Space Vision. Our guest today and I go way back, but I'm, I could imagine that he wouldn't remember. It was back at ELA, which is a very big aerospace show here in Berlin in 2016, where we first met. Uh, I uh, just had started New Space Vision and I was still working at the space company part-time scientist. Um, and new space companies in Europe were still a very rare find. Um, back then, our guest pitched his company, which back then had a different name on stage. And after the pitch, I went up to him and told him how cool that was, because I think again, like new space in Europe, in 2016, seven years back, was 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 nearly unseen. Seven years. Shit. Yeah. And now, seven years later, we talk for the second time. So that's why I'm very excited to welcome Renoir Ayou, co-founder of Preligence. Welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you, uh, Daniel and Sven, for hosting me. Yeah. So before we really dive into the very interesting, very unique story of your company, um, which is really one of the, the biggest Earth observation companies in Europe. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background. Um, yeah, what have, you, uh, what have you been doing before starting your own space tech? So before uh, starting uh, aerospace tech, I was an engineering student in engineering school, school sorry, engineering school in France and the UK. And after that, I chose to do a PhD uh, with the... the the French space agency and uh, the CNRS, which is the French research, research agency, and Airbus uh, on the space plasma physics uh, for the JUICE mission, which is uh, um, which has been uh, launched a couple of days ago. So uh, uh, very excited by this launch. And after that, uh, I continued working the same kind of topic at Airbus, doing space simulation, space physics. Transitioning, sorry, to uh, space instrumentation and different type of uh, scientific and commercial mission. So basically, doing space engineering at Airbus for I think five years, uh, seven years, and after uh, after that, we we decided with my co-founder to to start the company. That's uh, that's really cool stuff. Uh, so I'm also super interested in plasma uh, physics and plasma environment. Uh, I, I did my thesis uh, about uh, low Earth orbit and, and, and studied this. You did it on Jupiter's uh, Jupiter's moon uh, Ganymede. Uh, and now I was I was asking myself that that sounds very different to Earth observation. Um, so so how did that transition come? Like coming from really this plasma physics to 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 EO. Uh, Basically, that it's, it's quite, in fact, uh, similar to what we are doing today in some way, because uh, my, PhD, my PhD was about applied physics and compu computer simulation applied to physics. So doing computer simulation, basically, 
it's very close, in fact, to do machine learning, the same kind of uh, mathematical concept, the same kind of uh, of uh, parallelization technology. Of course, it's totally different technology in some, some way, totally different framework, totally different code, but there is this still kind of experimental uh, approach uh, and, uh, and numerical approach. So uh, basically, it's, there is lots of commonality, and uh, I think uh, at Airbus, uh, what is very good with this kind of, of big integrator company is you, you are not specialized in doing only space simulation for plasma physics. You, you always expand your knowledge. And at the end, I was also doing some integration, some going in white room, in clean room, etc. So you learn a lot about lots of things. And so you can apply, apply this later. So uh, it was really uh, very interesting. Yeah. Totally see that. So, um, but that, uh, does it mean that uh, also on the, on the Jupiter's analysis you already used AI because this was like 10 years ago, right? No, it, wa it was not AI, but it was a numerical simulation and uh, with similar mm. concept uh, you, you can have. So there is some difference, but there's also some uh, uh, surprisingly similar concepts like uh, yeah. numerical convergence, simulation, how to, how to parallelize calculation, how this kind of thing. Yeah. And you worked at Airbus, which is obviously undoubtedly Europe's biggest aerospace company. And you've just said you worked on a on such a cool mission such as JUICE. Uh, really, really such an incredible mission. Everyone should look it up. But what inspired you to start your own company then? Uh, well, I was very inspired by uh, some Planet Labs or, or Spire Global who, who, was, who were just starting at this point. Um, I've, I've become booming. And uh, I, I was like kind of inspired the way they, they can act very fast and change things and change the way we are working in the space industry. Uh, what is very cool at big companies like Airbus and Space is you can really work on very exciting missions like there is no other, like Juice, like I work on Solar, uh, uh, I don't remember the name, uh, Baby Colombo, this kind of mission. So I work on very exciting missions. On the other hand, uh, it could take a little bit of time to change things, to, to get to innovation, to uh, integrate um, new uh, new standards. And uh, I saw what they were doing at uh, Plant Lab, at Spire Global, and said, OK, there is something to do in Europe, too. You know, we, we don't have to wait for the US to do something. We should do something in, the, in, in, uh, in Europe. And we saw how much Earth observation and Earth uh, Uh, remote sensing data was booming, yeah. and we say we, we saw we saw a real opportunity there. Like there is lots of data coming in, we need to do something about it. Yeah. Super interesting because uh, basically um, it was exact the same timing, right? As like I mean, we also did our first pitches during the time you pitched EarthCube, the you know the, the former name, uh, and we also have seen uh, basically Planet Labs uh, and and the others changing 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 the industry right and and it's interesting because Sven and I also wanted to first like we, we thought about starting like small sets or some hardware stuff or like we we, we basically assessed it right so uh, we had then had the conclusion software makes sense and you for you it was the same right so um, you, you basically then stopped um, uh, the, the, the hardware back then, right? But we, yeah. we will we, come to that yeah. in, a, in a second, because exactly, that sounds great, but then you started the company. Tell us a little bit about the company you started. What is Prilijes doing? Yeah, so at the beginning, we, we our, uh, our supposition with, our, uh, uh, with my uh, co-founder was, okay, there is lots of um, EO data, but these EO data are very high-end, very uh, specialized, very expensive, and we we may be able to do some something more accessible, more 
we could say generic, using uh, lower end data, small satellite, less expensive, and having full integration with a uh, with a uh, uh, with uh, automatic processing and machine learning. So we started thinking about it and eventually sending our own uh, design instrument, our own small small satellite there. Um, so that this was EarthCube and uh, very like very rapidly during the process, we we understood that maybe this was not the right problem we were trying to answering. Uh, we understood that there is lots of data, there is lots of free free data, there is lots of high end or low end data, there is lots of different data. But uh, really, there is lack of uh, valorization of this data. Like uh, this data, it's, it's most most of this data is lost and still today. And most of the EO and remote sensing data is not fully uh, uh, fully leveraged. And so we saw, okay, we need to we need to put a Really, some focus on leveraging and uh, and putting putting some business value on this data, and so that's where we yeah. transition to uh, from uh, you know uh, uh, doing hardware, a little bit of hardware, a little bit of remote sensing, little bit of data processing to purely data processing uh, company, uh, and after uh, transitioning also to the defense uh, defense industry. So, in the summary, Prelegens is a satellite analytics company in the defense sector, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, after doing this transition, the other transition was to understand that, in fact, in the EO business, like most of the value, most of the problem are from military. So these guys are buying, I don't know, 70 or 90 percent of the data uh, and they have really big problem and they have money. So the, the market is really complex to work with defense. It's not easy. But like as a business, when you are starting your business, we were like, okay, this guy have money, they have a big problem. Like we should, we should go for it. Like we should not like. Yeah. And th there were lots of things about new space, about how how remote sensing can help insurance, can help market. Can, but it was really like emerging market. There were no, yeah. there were no real market yet. And so our show, our. Uh, our choice was really okay. There is lots of do, lots of things to do in defense, and so let's go for it. And also, like it was, it's really exciting business. So when we stepped in, we were like really uh, attracted. Like uh, once you are started, it you can't, uh, you can't step out. It's a drug. Yeah, and the, the switch in names came when you made the decision to go into the into the defense sector uh, to, uh, from EarthCube to Prelegens, or that came later. That came a little bit later. Uh, it it came a little bit where we later when we decided to switch from being an EO company to being really an AI for defense. So okay, the step were okay. First, we tried to do satellite and and Earth observation data processing. After we understood that, okay, uh, maybe we should focus on uh, AI for uh, Earth observation data. Is after yeah. we should focus on defense. And when we focused on defense, we understood that, okay, processing uh, satellite data is not the only thing we need to do. Uh, there is lots of other data in the defense market we, we could process. And so now we started to move toward not being a new space company, but being an AI for a defense software company. 
So that means, you're, uh, if I understood correctly, you're not only using uh, remote sending data from space, right? What kind of other data sets uh, are you are you utilizing? I mean, ge geolocation, right? That's, yes, of course. But our core uh, historical business was on processing satellite uh, images, and uh, we are still doing lots of that. But it's today it's uh, more or less fifty percent of our business. We are processing other type of data, video, text, and some data will not talk about but uh, so it's easier to talk about yeah. like satellite images because it's it speaks to everybody uh, but it's today it's less it's uh, yes 50 percent of our business more or less that, that's super interesting that well that, that's a that's a surprise to me uh, like I, I thought um, because i also read you you you, you want to be uh, like like the best ai company for defense yeah. uh, and i always thought it's it's basically for for the earth observation data now it's it's just 50 percent um, so is it, um, but is it still combined analytics or are you like, is it also different products where you only have video, for example? So it's, uh, at the beginning, it was like kind of differentiated, uh, also because, mm -hmm. uh, that's how work the, uh, the defense industry and the analyst and the intelligence agency. Uh, today we are converging toward data fusion and, um, Yeah. either in our product but also in the in the way uh, people work uh, because analysts you know before having all this data and all this AI uh, they used to work really with this is the guy specialist from earth observation there is the guy specialist from uh, signal intelligence there is the guy specialist for human intelligence and there is this specialization and they work on their sensors they call that sensors or data and after they will report Uh, today, we are seeing a convergence between different types of data. Uh, analysts uh, working side by side with the uh, sensor experts and doing more uh, some kind of, uh, of fusion of competency and fusion of uh, skills. And so the, this is enabled by the software and this is fueled also by the software evolution. But it's some kind of retroaction. You know, AI and software is fueling this change in uh, intelligence organization and intelligence organizations are fueling the change uh, in our product. So more and more companies like us are going toward data fusion and uh, combining different types of, uh, of data for intelligence, for operations, for uh, etc. Yeah. So uh, there are so many questions we have right now, like our brains are on fire. Um, so maybe let, let's structure it a bit. Um, so can you can you tell us uh, now in a, in a short summary uh, what what how we would you, we would summarize your product uh, offerings? Um, because we also have seen some product names uh, on, on the website, right? You, so you have already yeah. structured them somehow. Yes, we have a different type of product. We are basically offering software, AI-enabled software for, uh, for defense and intelligence. So having better, uh, to, for them to, to, in fact, to have better decision. Uh, the product that we, we talk about are satellite imagery analysis, uh, doing site surveillance. So for example, you have, uh, so this is Robin, our product Robin. For example, you have airport, port, military base, and you monitor them automatically with AI, uh, like as frequently as possible. So counting cars, counting airplane, sending alert when you have like uh, weird movement or uh, un unconventional uh, asset coming in the in the port for example a new you observe a new type of submarine that never been observed uh, before on these areas you send an alert so this is robin we communicate also a lot about xerus which is a, a mapping tool 
So it's really operation, operational and military mapping. So we take satellite imagery we, and we transform them in map for the militaries. And which is really interesting is we are not doing map like Google Maps or this kind of thing. We are really doing, really doing maps for military operation. So we are detecting road, uh, uh, building, but also how you can uh, insert your uh, special forces, how you can, where you can uh, land uh, helicopters or this kind of thing. So really like something for the operation. So this is uh, some, um, some product we are communicating about. We're also working on videos, uh, images, some also some kind of text. We have, uh, we have half a dozen products we can say today. Wow, well, that's cool. But you're also 230 people, I think, on LinkedIn. So that's also, I think, like, I, I, that could be. If, if we would count you just as a pure play Earth observation company, you're maybe the biggest one then, exactly in Europe. That's just pretty impressive, super cool, like analytical-wise. But you said that, like, you've mentioned all these different uh, products. Um, is there one root, root problem in the defense sector? You said that there's so much data and that they are, that they are not really making use of it. Um, why is that the case? Why is the defense sector so struggling with making making use of the data themselves? Um, I think it's the same thing than civilian uh, civilian world. Uh, first, uh, they are going to add more and more technology. Uh, the, I saw an article that the next uh, French, uh, the next generation French uh, armored personnel carrier will generate terabyte of data every day because there will be a camera on it, there will be some antennas, there will be some GPS trackers, there will be some etc. etc. So lots of sensors in it. Like you have it in your smartphone, if you have some some something in your uh, in your home which uh, for example some uh, sensor in your home uh, like a smart camera or smart alarm, you know, will have more and more sensors and more and more data everywhere. And the military is the same. You know, when they build a new uh, a new tank, a new aircraft, a new uh, ships, there is more and more sensor on it. So they get more and more data. And the world is going faster. And the same for operation and military. If you are following the Ukraine conflict, it's really moving fast. Like they have drones everywhere. They have like way to, uh, to get data from commercial, from, from, from commercial sources, from uh, Twitter, from, uh, uh, you know, so you get lots of information from this sensor and you have to add more and more, and more uh, in a short cycle, you know. Mm. You have really to, as a, the military operations are going really fast. If you see what, what, what have happened in Afghanistan with the, with the people leaving Afghanistan, it happened so fast. Like, you know, the, everything crumbled in a matter of hours and you, you, had to, you had to stay informed, you had to understand what's going on in the field, etc. So I think it's exactly the same thing that we are seeing in the civilian world, like more, more sensors, more data, and everything is going faster. Operations are going faster. Yeah. And so the thing is, we, c we can uh, afford in the civilian world, like we can afford not to leverage our data as a, as a civilian. If you have a smart uh, camera, but you don't use it, that's not a problem. We don't, we don't really care. Probably most of people use... 20, 30% of the capacity of the smartphone, whatever, you know. But mm -hmm. as a military organization, like you have someone uh, in front of you that uh, is trying to beat you. 
And so you have to be better than him or he will beat you. He will beat you uh, in the war. It will be, he will beat you in the intelligence business. It will beat you. So you have to be in the forefront always because like there is, there is different type of geopolitical blocks that are struggling to, to get like some, uh, some advantages. And so as a military organization, you have to beat your opponent. You have to win. And so to win, you have to make better decisions and leverage or you sensor or you are doing a strategic mistake because you have all this information, you are not processing it. The guy in front of you will probably process it. So, and if you are doing it and he's not, you have a strategic advantage. So that that's why it's, it's becoming really, really important for the military because um, that's how you win war, no, no. Intelligence and information are always one war, and no intelligence and information will go through AI. Yeah. Like you can't have this without AI. Yeah, and um, so, so this it may be the most competitive uh, um, uh, space out there, right? Uh, because you, what you mentioned, right? If if you don't beat them, they beat you. So it, it sounds very trivial, but but also very competitive. Um, and I, we were asking ourselves, um, like, why um, are they then collaborating with a, with a startup? Uh, like, typically, uh, they, we, we, or maybe the, the public um, thinks the military, they are doing the crazy satellite stuff right, on their own, right? They, they, are, they, the are, best. they, they are the, the best. best engineers. They, they are 10 to 20 years ahead of the commercial um, um, uh, in the industry. Um, but that seems to be not the case, or, or how would you describe that? Yeah, for software and AI, uh, and I think it's not only AI for software, uh, military organization and even uh, legacy military industry have always struggled a little bit. Uh, they are, uh, because it's, it's, it's really a different way of uh, working. Uh, uh, you, you don't do a software like you do uh, an aircraft carrier, etc. And doing Great software is really hard. Like we have seen, mm. we have seen in the past 15, 20 years with the revolution of agile, uh, with uh, everything about methodology, about changing how we work, etc. It's really hard to do software. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I used to, I used to work in spacecraft and like basically building spacecraft, and I realized it's, it may be harder to build a software than a spacecraft, <laughs> and I, I. I I don't really uh, still understand it why, because but it's it's really hard to build the software and even building uh, AI above software is really something which is really recent. It's coming, it's changing very fast, and yeah. it's not uh, you know the way we work uh, is really different than the way uh, legacy industry or military work and used to work. When you talk about satellite industry and very high-end satellite with the NRO or with Airbus or this kind of thing. It's projects that take years that are, you know, lots of people are working on it. The specification, uh, you know, are really uh, take months or years to, to be settled, etc. When you are doing software on AI, like every six months, something is changing a lot. Right? Yeah. 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 And so this, yeah. I think this is why, you know, uh, there's some, some kind of struggle to internalize this kind of uh, competency. And also, uh, you know, there is, uh, in all military organizations uh, in the world, there is some struggle to, uh, to get the right people, to get engineers in, uh, especially data scientists, but also software engineers in the military organization. They, they have some difficulty uh, for, 
for human resources. So I think it's great to use what is uh, what is best in the industry and. Um, That, that, that's an interesting one, yeah. And and it may also in the past years have been the compensation for for software engineers, right? Which which is in the in the industry, it's extremely high. And in the military, I don't know if they can be as competitive yeah. as, yeah. as as in the commercial market. Um, but um, I, I want to follow up on on a, on a topic regarding the AI, um, because uh, yeah, there there are cloud problems where it's very hard to scale software, right? So like this is the big challenge, but also on the AI. And um, when I've visited conferences and have seen competitors like Orbital Insights and so on, um, they have sometimes shown, um, for example, a military vessel. And they said, we can see so many things on the satellite data. And they, uh, they, they were talking about a lot of context, right? Then they put this um, uh, object there on the ship and that's, then they did the interpretation that then this and th that will happen. Uh, and I always ask myself, uh, like the, the type of context, can you create, uh, uh, are they really creating this with AI? Or in case of uh, such a local um, um, a thing, they are just using an, uh, an analyst, someone who's looking at the images with a lot of context. Um, so so how, how do you see that, like AI versus the analyst in, in the defense industry? Especially in the defense industry and uh, in the defense uh, business, we, we really want to empower human analysts and help them do, um, like do better decisions and faster. But we don't want to replace them because that's really critical, you know, uh, uh, critical matter. We, we saw that in Ukraine, there were lots of debate about is Russia going to attack or not, etc. They had all the same information. All, all people had the same satellite images, the same number of uh, tanks, etc. But there were lots of debate between experts. Uh, are Russian are Russian going to attack? Why? Who? Uh, when? Etc. And this is something you don't want to let to uh, AI for me. You, so the AI will be here to tell you, okay, the Russian deployment at the border of Ukraine is this. You know they have home, they have this kind of this uh, type of tanks. They have this many tanks. They have uh, this this type of trucks and etc. But you. Uh, and we don't want to an AI to say, okay, they are going to attack. No, you don't know that. That's where that's why we call them analysts. You know, because they analyze. They use their human human knowledge and human brain to analyze the context to understand that okay, this tank was there yesterday and is there now, and that could mean that, etc. And I don't see an AI doing this uh, at the level of a human for years and years. And I don't think it's a Good thing if the uh, an AI will replace the human on that. So uh, I, I think AI for defense will be used to really to filter and to do what we call tip and queuing, meaning okay, we take all this data and we tell the analyst you should focus there because there something weird is happening. So take your human intelligence, focus it there, forget what's happening there because there's nothing interesting but focus on this anomaly, this, uh, this pattern. This podcast is sponsored by LiveView. LiveView's mission is to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data for humanity and life on Earth through AI. We are the global market leader in infrastructure monitoring and are bringing the power of satellite data analytics to other industries globally. Talk to us to find out how satellite data can benefit you and your company via podcast at live-eo.com. Thing, but focus on this anomaly, this uh, this pattern.
Yeah. I see already that we most likely will have not enough time to cover all the topics which we would like to talk about. But maybe going back to the satellites, you said that you monitor, uh, you use a lot of satellite data analytics. Um, so, for example, obviously there's optical data, there's radar data, and during the last couple of years there has been a big development of radar data constellations in orbit. Um, how do you see the relevancy of, 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 of radar data for the, for the, for the military sector? as it is especially difficult to understand, right, if you look at it. So I really see radar that has a big opportunity for AI because it's really hard to understand for a human. It's really heavy to process. It's technically it's information in several dimensions because you have the phase, you have the polarization, you have, and the human brain is not really wired to understand this kind of multi-dimensional signal. But you could put that in an AI and for the, for the well-trained AI is more or less transparent, you know. Yeah. So I think there is a really an opportunity for computer vision, for AI, for data processing to help human uh, leveraging radar data. However, today it's, it's still difficult uh, because you need like to have human to train the algorithm. And it's also these data are not really easy to access. So... Uh, the fact that there is ISI, Capella Space, this kind of new player coming in, it's also is the access to this radar data for companies like us mm. to train our algorithm or to develop new products. So that's really great. And um, so, so I, you just mentioned two commercial companies, ISI and Capella. Mm. Um, so are you mainly using uh, commercially available satellites um, or do you also have access to the crazy uh, shit, I would say, like to like, what you always hear, uh, you know, satellites we don't know about. So we try to use uh, a lot uh, commercial uh, proxies. We call that proxies. So data which look like uh, military data. So either for satellite, for drone, for lots of things. And after we, so we take the mass of data available, we buy them or we get them or open source when they are free. We train algorithm on this, and after we fine tune on uh, on the specialized data uh, at some at some premises where uh, where we have more sensitive uh, capabilities. So we we do that usually, and even for satellite, it works very well. You know, using like Pleiad Neo images or Pleiades Neo images or Worldview images, you could get great results even on military satellite. Uh, but yeah, yes, having access to the user data is really, uh, it's really uh, always a game-changing uh, fact. Yeah. So, so you are. So the summary is you're using yeah, data yeah. from uh, which we would like to get, but we're not working in the defense sector, so we have to deal and struggle with the commercial data. Maybe one question regarding commercial data, because like what we are always getting, and I mean, you have raised venture capital rounds, we are raising venture capital rounds, and one question we are always being asked is, hey. Well, you have this array, the satellite companies, they could just vertically integrate, so build the solution themselves and then sell it to the end customers. And I mean, the military and defense sector has historically been the sector where Maxa and Airbus always had a strong stand and they are selling a lot of data in that sector themselves. So what's your answer to the question, hey, why isn't Maxa, why isn't Airbus doing it themselves? And uh, why do you think that, yeah, maybe, maybe that's just the question. Why do you think they are not uh, able or why they won't do it themselves? First, uh, as a company that we tried, okay, at a smaller scale, but we tried to do hardware and software together, that's really hard. 
So doing AI and hardware, that's not the same business, that's not the same metrics, that's not the same business model, not the same team, not the same mindset. So it's hard to do both. Uh, as a, even for a big company, I think. Uh, you know, I used to work at Airbus. It's an Airbus Jefferson Space. It's an amazing company. It's not a software company. Uh, they don't have the mindset. They don't have the, the culture for first. Mm-hmm. And they don't have also the brand. You know, when you are a software developer, uh, top, top level software developer, you don't want to work at a satellite company. You want to work in AI startup or Google or Facebook. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's the first. Uh, uh, second, I think uh, I think it's it's always the same question. In fact, why did didn't the incumbent and the legacy uh, uh, yeah. uh, did it? Uh, I think because we were able to be faster, we were able to be uh, more efficient uh, and more focused uh, at. Airbus or Maxa, you have lots of stuff to do, lots of business opportunity. Our idea was, okay, there is this business opportunity. We are going to, going to break it. You know, we are going to go for it, only for it, just for it. Yeah. And we are going to be the best at it. And so if you look at that after, if you look, if you look at, at this in, in this way, we are, I think our team for, uh, for AI, uh, for satellite imagery, today it must be like, six or ten times the, the, the team of uh, Airbus on, on Maxa. Yeah. We have much more people than them. So no, they, they, if they want to, if they want, and I think the same for Black Sky, for example, or the, even the or planets, we have like, today yeah. we have 130 engineers working only on that. Uh, yeah. There must be 10 people at Airbus working on this. So no, we are mm. bigger than them. We are not a bigger company than Planet or, or Airbus, but we are much bigger than them in, the, in this. So if they want to, if they want to, to, uh, to go against us, they have to invest a lot, hundreds of million probably. Yeah, that's super interesting because, um, uh, like, when we talk to investors in the past years, um, I mean, they are right now getting more and more educated. They always think, ah, it's super easy to analyze satellite image, right? You get an image and you have a CNN. Now you say you have a lot of engineers, uh, 130, right? Um, and w- w- why do you need so many engineers? Why is it so challenging to to build these technologies? What are what are the technical blockers you see there right now? So first, when you are doing an AI company, you need. Uh, I usually say twice or three times uh, the amount of people you need uh, in terms of engineers compared to a software company. Uh, why? Because you need to do the software because you are still a software company. You need to do the AI and you need to do the tool for the people doing the AI. So that's three times uh, the people you need. So, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, this is it. Uh, also, AI for defense is really hard. Uh, it's not something where you can just like have like 90% performances and it's okay. You have to have very, very strong performances, like 95, 97. You know, you, you can't afford a mistake. It's not like chat GPT or okay, sometimes it's wrong, but it's okay. You know, you have to be very, very accurate and very, very great. And also you have to be, you have to deploy everything on premises. And that takes lots, lots of people. You have to have a big IT team, a big deployment team, etc. Because uh, we can't use like Amazon Web Services and just deploy everything on SaaS. And so, 
So that's why uh, that's we need to go on premises on the bunker on the sometime we go on the on the ships. Uh, we we even had like a parachute, uh, a guy who took our uh, software in a in a big computer and like parachute himself with it. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> the question is why? <laughs> I mean, you you may not yeah. be able to talk about that. So. But... So uh, you know, and <laughs> when you when you need to have your software work in this kind of condition, it, it takes lots of. It's really really challenging. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, you you just already answered one of our questions regarding the local deployment because we are working with utility customers, and sometimes they are saying, "Hey, so secure, you have to deploy it on our server." And then we always say, "Okay, well, we don't gonna work with them just because we know how painful it is to really have everything working in such a way that you can deploy yeah. it also." like on the servers of the customers. But we would have one question, and you already made, uh, mentioned ChatGPT. Um, the hype train is, is right now uh, driving around, right? Everyone's like speaking about generative models. Uh, how do you see this having an impact on the defense sector? And on your business. Yeah. yeah. So if I speak about like multi-state foundation models or large model, uh, et cetera, I think it's, Either a threat and an opportunity. You you have to. Uh, I think we may have as a company to change a little bit the way we work. For example, the way we build algorithm, relying a little bit more on this uh, on this foundation model. But you know, it doesn't for us doesn't change fundamentally of, of how we work because we used to we used to work with off the shelf uh, data uh, an off the shelf model. So taking for example, imagine it doing transfer learning. And if you look at segment anything, for example, for Facebook, it's great, but it doesn't work for a use case. So it will be a tool we use to have better performances, to accelerate production, but it will not break our business. We still we will still have to have like some integration, some put that on premise, some retrain for a specific use case. You know, ChatGPT doesn't doesn't know how to work on radar images, on infrared images, or this kind of thing, or signal intelligence. You know. So uh, yeah. it's the same for ChatGPT. So it's really, I see that as a really great tool for improving our uh, our productivity, improving the way we work, getting better product in production. Uh, and also w what this uh, new paradigm doesn't change is in AI, what is hard is two things, getting the last percent of performances. So getting from 90 to 95, this is really what is hard. Yeah. 100%. And yeah. getting in production, especially in production in premises, meaning like uh, deploying the model, your model work, you can maintain it, you can improve it, you can track the performances, you can uh, get like it, it work in a, in a reasonable amount of time, etc. And this foundation model doesn't change that. So for me, it's, it's a, just a, a new tool, a very new great tool for my developers and my data scientists. But it doesn't change fundamentally how we work. And this is great, like the answers you have given, like because we we really perceive it in the same way, especially like what's hard in ML uh, and AI, getting to the getting these last percents right, and then really doing it on production, 
because like everyone underestimates it. You can run a great pilot, you can show a great case study and everyone says, wow, that's so cool. Well, uh, Accenture can do it, KPMG can do it. And then you look under the hood and it's a computer scientist with their laptop doing something or whatever. But um, you spoke, we spoke not so much and I for Daniel and myself, it's really a completely different world. We spoke so much about, about like the defense sector as such. How is it selling to defense clients and who are your clients? You have mentioned some on your website, so I imagine you can you can tell us about them. Yeah, so our defense client, our client are so obviously first the French government, which has been a really great support since the beginning. Uh, we sell also to some NATO countries, so um, um, European and NATO countries. We sell to the US. Uh, also to some uh, uh, in Japan or uh, with Japanese country. And we sell also to NATO as an organization. So this is a, the, the kind of country we can, uh, we can discuss. Obviously, we, we are pretty limited in terms of country we want to sell to. Uh, we try to mm. be even more restrictive than, uh, than, uh, than what the, the government asks us to do, either because something we, we want to and also... Uh, because uh, for uh, for uh, security reasons, so we are trying to, to be quite restrictive in the term of commercial target, but it's still a very, very big market, especially in the US and in Europe. So, uh, uh, but it's very specific, meaning uh, we have very few clients, like uh, I think when we have 30 clients, will be a multi-billion dollar company in terms of uh, revenue. Uh, yeah. So very few clients and very big contracts. So contracts for us are always like, you know, we have few contracts, but big one. And that's uh, yeah. quite different to lots of startups. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of countries, uh, right? US, um, uh, um, for example. Uh, you did mention Germany. We are a German company. Uh, can, you, can you comment on that? Or? We talk with the German uh, government, but uh, yeah, that, that's what I can comment. Yeah, that's, uh, um, we know that it's um, very hard to sell to the German government. We just met um, Manfred Krischke, who he was the founder of the first commercial European Earth observation company, RapidEye. Um, and uh, it was all like he also told us that the, the, the ecosystem, it's, it's somehow very close, right? So you have a few companies, I don't want to name them, but you have a few companies who actually uh, own this business and they're also very um, protective against the new kids on the block uh, right so um but yeah the us and uh, is, is, is has a complete different mindset yeah. there right even uh, european, european startups like you um do you have any um so only selling to defense um do you have any special uh, setup regarding security um, because i mean as a startup in the beginning we know how it is right so um, it, it's very challenging to set up all these pro processes. Mm. Um, but yeah, can you tell a bit about that? Yeah, we have to follow processes and uh, certification. Uh, but in fact, it's it's not that complicated because it's very uh, structured. So the government tell you, uh, you need to do that. And mm. so you're doing it. <laughs> and if, if, you, uh, if you compare to, for example, insurance company or company processing that personal data, it's also very constraining. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's different, you know, it's not different type of constraint, but when you are doing a software business, you always have security constraints, GDPR constraint, uh, uh, ISO uh, 9001 constraints, you know, different type of uh, quality and security constraint. 
Uh, for defense, they are different. They are, I, I would not say it's harder, it's just different, you know. Uh, my CISO, my chief uh, information uh, security officer, is coming from an uh, insurance startup. And it's also very constraining. It's totally different, but it's very constraining too. Yeah, so yeah. we just have to adapt to our ecosystem. And, uh, and, uh, but we, I think what is important as a new entry, new, uh, newcomer is really to be really ser serious about it because you are really, you know, people are watching on you. You are a newcomer. So you have to be very, very serious and no, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. no step uh, outside of the, of the line. Yeah. And exactly, so you've mentioned the US and um, in the US, I know a couple of defense tech companies, Pedantia, obviously the biggest one, and a real billion dollar company. What are other defense sector startups in Europe which you see? So obviously there is Helsing, uh, which is a German uh, company. Uh, otherwise, I don't see many startups. So there is small, smaller one, um, which are working yeah. in, a, in, a, in a, either in a, def a little bit of defense or a little bit of civilians. Uh, I think mainly, uh, mainly I see Helsing as a, as a potential uh, competitor or eventually partner, you know, but uh, as a yeah. company comparable to us. Crazy. That's so, crazy. Two but this is crazy, right? You have like so many countries within Europe, you have such a big like uh, GDP and you have like two companies which are funded with a couple of, of, of dozens or hundreds of millions. It's really like, hmm, well, I don't know whether it's healthy. It's a bit like uh, us, right? We, we yeah. like, it's such a use case, like a lot of companies say they are doing, a lot of staff say they are, they are, they are doing it, um, like for services, for example, for, for energy infrastructure, but the companies which scale, it's 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 globally it's a handful right which we are really in competition it's so so i think sometimes when i reflect and i zoom out this just shows me oh it's it's still very early very early in this game so your your competitors are mainly then the um traditional um, partly governmental owned uh geospatial companies i would assume right yes and the, i could say our com main competition is uh, ourselves is being able to convince uh, uh, because Uh, it's usually when uh, we are in the place, people uh, are happy with our product. Uh, the, uh, the really big thing is to be able to, uh, to convince people uh, to get to this new way of working, to have uh, AI integrated in, uh, in their software, to have AI integrated in the system, and to get to the right uh, people, especially in the US. The US is so big. You know, there is yeah. thousands of AI programs Some of them are really early, we never reach production. Some of them are already working operationally. And you have to get to the right, uh, right program, right door to convince that what you are bringing is new and uh, bring value and is innovative. And uh, yeah. this is, you know, I, I think there is uh, so much space. I, I think in the, in, in the coming five to 10 years, we'll see probably one or two. Uh, One leader in Europe, probably one in the US, yeah. like two leaders globally, uh, two or three leaders globally. But uh, today there is lots of room. You know, the, the problem is not like, I think having problem to solve or technology to solve the problem is really like <laughs> entering in convincing and also having the right level of performances. Because, you know, these guys uh, we work with, they, 
you know, they don't have time to lose. You know, they are, you know, when we, we work a little bit with special forces, you know, this guy doesn't give a, like, they, they don't care about AI. You know? They are special forces. Yeah. They have, like, mission to do. So either we give them a tool that helps them, either it's not helping them. You know, they are not, oh, okay, it's, yeah. it's great. No, it's not great. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, either it works or it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, even if it's very close, you know, to working, there is zero value. So that's yeah. really binary, uh, and that's what is very complicated. Either you bring, like, you help them in, their, in the field or, or not. And if it's not, uh, they have other yeah. stuff to do than, like, working with you. So that's what is sometimes very complex. Yeah, super cool, really. And, and again, Daniel, I would love to speak for hours, but we have to, uh, two final questions and one very short last one. First one, what's your view? Why hasn't Earth Observation reached the mainstream yet? After six years, you and us being in the industry, seven years or even more, why isn't everyone using Earth Observation? Today? And everyone at the end does defense. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think because it's uh, hard to use and expensive and not as useful as we could think. Uh, so sometimes you have clouds, sometimes you, know, you, uh, you have not the satellite at the right time, sometimes. So I, I think for civilian market and uh, everything around insurance, finance, this kind of thing. I think you should use Earth observation in, with lots of other data. Like you should use data fusion. Earth observation will be mm. one, one of your data stream. Sometime you will use it, but Earth observation alone, it's not enough to solve lots of problems. We, we totally agree with this. And uh, I mean, uh, Sven and I, what, what, we, uh, what we think, what we project for the future, the, Uh, the two blockers, right? Too expensive and not as useful as, as people mm. think. The too expensive will will be soft, right? Um, like in, in the next years, more competition, uh, launches, uh, hardware is getting cheaper. And the second one regarding that it's not not uh, useful yet uh, in a way for a lot of use cases people think. Um, this may be solved through better sensors, through more sensors um, from space, but also from somewhere else, the data fusion, right? So. Um, so, so that's what we see. I'm super hyped on all the hyperspectral sensors, for example, which launch and others. Um, and, and you, in your role, um, you, you see all these future things coming up, right? You're now, you changed your role from CTO to CIO. Can you, can you tell us a bit how that came? Yes, uh, so it's very, uh, very, very uh, recent. So the, the change is happening the 1st of May. And uh, we, since the beginning with Arno, uh, my co-founder, we, we always thought that We, we were craving for help for uh, external uh, talent. So a couple of years ago, we, uh, we entered a new uh, uh, executive in the company, Francois Grégoire, who, who helped us scale the business. And uh, at this moment, we thought also it was a, a great time to uh, also to, to do other change. We had uh, some uh, contact with Jean-Yves Courtois. Uh, Jean-Yves Courtois is one of the few French who founded the company in defense, took it to the US and succeed. And so the company was bought uh, after taken public and, you know, lots of, he, he, he succeeded a lot. Like he, he did an IPO after he, he, nice. so this guy is amazing. And uh, he was at, so he was at our board, he was an investor in the company. And we thought he's the great guy maybe to, to take back the company and uh, to help us go to the next level. So we offered him the, the CEO, uh, CEO position. 
And after we decided to uh, to the between four four executive and five executive to to dispatch more or less the the responsibilities. Uh, I have built the tech team from zero to I think one hundred twenty or one hundred thirty today, and uh, I thought know it has some kind of maturity. You know, uh, you, they can be managed by someone which is not tech, some one hundred percent technical, by someone who has a business more business sense. And usually in startups, it happens like the, the VP engineering start to report to the CEO or CEO. So that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And we thought on the other end that we were really lacking uh, effort on innovation, uh, on uh, you know what's going to be the technology in three to five years. So we didn't have the time to look at it uh, for, for the moment. We are really you know, like deep, deep in operation. And so with my, my co-founder, we discussed about it and I said, okay, I, I would really happy to, to try to do that, like to, to take a smaller team and try to see what will be the technology of uh, Preligence to win the war in like three years or five years. And yeah. so the, yeah. it was pretty natural uh, how we decided to evolve the governance of the company and we're really happy with it. That's uh, really great news for us. And uh we are really, I can't wait to, to have Jean-Yves uh, coming in uh, in May to work with it. Super, super cool and super interesting. And I think we would love to keep up the conversation because obviously we are asking ourselves the same question. We are, we, are, we are not as big as you are, but we are experiencing some of the same um, developments. So, well, again, thank you very much. It was so interesting, so insightful, really seeing the, the, the AI and Earth observation space from a completely different angle and really seeing what kind of challenges you have overcome. It's really, really uh, impressive and super encouraging. And, and because we are not in competition, which, which I think is also nice, but we have somehow the same timing and, and the same, same mindset. Uh, was also a highlight, highlight for me to talk about these these things we are joining, right? Because we, we typically don't do podcasts with competitors, right? It's, yeah. it's very challenging. Yeah. And with you, what uh, was 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 the first one, the first podcast, I think, where we could really, really talk about these things. Yeah. One quick last question: Who should we have next on the podcast? Uh, so I think I don't know if you already had him, but uh, uh, people from Exotrail, and especially I know a lot David or uh, David Henry or Jean Luc. Uh, Maria, uh, which are people from Exotrail, a space mobility company. So they started by space propulsion and they want to work on space van, etc. And uh, I think we have very similar mindsets, uh, like kind of no bullshit mindset. Uh, we have <laughs> common investor and I really like them. And I think they have very, very great vision. And, you know, they have this vision and you look at it, you say, that's a little bit crazy. And, <laughs> but they have very sensitive sensible step like okay we'll take that to the next step and next step and all the steps seems feasible so you understand okay maybe the vision will is feasible too yeah. so uh, so uh, I find them very inspiring and uh, so I think great people to have on your uh, on your show that sounds amazing and I think I spoke to one of the founders at the buffet at a space conference in 2017 or 18 but that was the last time i spoke to one of them so i'm so i'm sure a lot of things have happened since then so thank you very much Renaud. thank you it was really great uh thanks to all the listeners for tuning in again and make sure to follow us on all the social medias and see you next time all right uh, lift off and the clock is Liftoff, we have a liftoff.